0: As we begin our reflection on those readings, let's pray. And so, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the reflections of our hearts and minds together today be found pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. And so this morning we're beginning a series of messages in our Sunday services from the book of 1 Peter that we're calling Take Heart. There are five chapters in the book of 1 Peter and we're going to take one each week over five Sundays. We won't cover every verse in this New Testament letter but I do encourage you to read it all over these weeks and it'll be more than enough to get a sense of the message that was being written to those who first received this letter but also to get a sense of the message that it might have to bring to us today. And so before we think about our particular reading this morning, uh, let's consider a little bit about this New Testament book together. 1 Peter is one of the letters written in the New Testament that would have been widely circulated and read and listened to by those in the early church, by those who became Christians at the beginning of the church's history. Like many of those letters, 1 Peter is short and sharp and to the point. It includes practical advice for Christians at taking their early steps in their faith, helping them anticipate where the problems might come and how they can navigate them. It's full of wonder about Jesus and what Jesus had done in giving his life in order to rescue the people. It's full of wonder about what Jesus reveals to us about the character and nature of God. It's realistic about the dangers that the Christian community will face, including those who try to stifle and stamp out their faith. It's also realistic about the challenges which might arise within the Christian community itself. And through it all, it's a letter that draws on motifs and verses from the Old Testament to give a sense of depth uh, as people uh, live out who they're being called to be as disciples of Jesus. It's being offered to them as an encouragement to take heart in the midst of all of the struggles that they're facing. And I think that's one of the ways in which uh, we will connect with this letter over the weeks ahead. We think it was uh, most likely written by or at least dictated by Peter, who we read about in the Gospels. Although there are those who suggest that it reads a lot like Paul's letters, Most people seem to think it was written between 62 and 66 AD, although those who think Peter might not be the author suggest it could have been written later. There are similarities and connections, and as we go through the book together, I hope you will uh, pick up on some of this, particularly with Acts and with Romans and with Hebrews. And all of that suggests that actually, regardless of who wrote it and precisely what date it was written on, this is a letter very firmly rooted in the early Christian tradition in the life of the church in the first century. This is in the mainstream of Christian thought and practice. The letter would have been written in Greek and is one that's been composed with care. That is to say, it is direct, but the language is very deliberate. This has been thought through. We're told right at the beginning of, in verse one of chapter one, that this is being written to Christians who've been forced to move from where they lived and now find themselves across Asia Minor, which is largely in what we would now know as Turkey. We're not exactly sure what forced them to flee there, um, but further on in the letter, we find references to their faith being challenged, to them being abused because of their Christian behaviour and of them suffering for being known as Christians. As followers of Jesus, they were living differently from those around them. They didn't conform to the expectations that others in their community had of them. And this put them at odds with their neighbours, with their colleagues and with the ruling authorities. Their lives were distinctly different in a way that challenged those around them. In 1 Peter, they're being encouraged to remember that God's grace is sufficient for all that they are facing And so as the letter begins, it gets straight to it in verse two, talking about them being a chosen people, reminding them of their salvation, extolling them to remember that the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives and telling them that what they're suffering is temporary and they can look forward to a better time. You know, these nine verses at the beginning of 1 Peter do give us a bit of an overview for all that follows over the next five chapters. They're quite full-on. They give us plenty to think about. But if we can have these things in mind as we explore the rest of the letter, then um, it will help us as we think about how we're going to live as disciples of Jesus Christ where we are. You see, it is easy to get lost and forget the essentials of what it means to be a Christian. It does us good to remind ourselves frequently of who we are in Christ. And Peter would remind us that we are, by God's mercy, a people who have been chosen and who have a purpose in God's kingdom. We're set apart so that we might be signposts of the new reality, to the hope and truth of God's way revealed to us in Christ. The new world has already come into being through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, And through the sacrificial death of Christ and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, God's people, including you and me, are to be living signals to this better way in the hope that others might come to find it too. You see, the life of God has created, um, the new life rather that God has created is not just about individuals being transformed, although we might each be able to talk about the difference that Jesus has made in our lives But it's also about a whole new world coming into being, the new creation being made. And it's our faith that will keep us firmly rooted in the hope that we might see more and more of that in the days ahead and that we might see it in its fullness when we see him face to face. Peter's guide for them in navigating their difficult situations begins in a place of praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we read in verse 3. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter's willing us to rejoice. What a God we have. How blessed are we. Jesus was raised from the dead, and because of that, we always have something to live for. I suspect as they heard this letter read to them for the first time, maybe even for the second and third time, the Christians in these five provinces in Asia Minor might not have been feeling that enthusiasm that Peter is encouraging them to find. They weren't feeling full of vim and vigor, enthusiastically offering God praise. Life was hard and they were tired Every day it was hard work, and being a Christian didn't seem to be helping very much. In fact, their faith only seemed to be causing them more problems. And yet, as they chewed over the message, perhaps as they heard it again and again, they begin to feel Peter's hope. It begins to rub off on them, it starts to rise within them. And you see, friends, I think hope can work that way. And I think Peter thought so too. Hope. Is real and if we allow ourselves, if we open ourselves to it, our faith can spark hope in us, can spark hope in you this morning. Friends, we live in a time in many ways of global chaos where we seem to lurch from one disaster to the next but there is still so much good in the world, so much to be hopeful about and even if there weren't, The new life made possible for us because of Jesus should provide us with a foundation that is sure and steadfast. Whatever happens, we know that God is at work in the world. We have faith that God's purposes are being worked out and we're certain that the story will end with all that is wrong in the world being set right. God's glory being seen by all the people and with us being able to dwell with God for eternity. Now that's not to say that Peter is in any way seeking to minimise the hardships that the recipients of his letter are facing. He refers to grief and trials and we know that there are all kinds of trials to be faced, physical, emotional, spiritual pain that many of us experience ourselves. The whole of scripture in fact is very real about the suffering that affects God's people and Peter and the other leaders of the church would have very much known it in their own lives too. They're not being told simply to buck up, or worse still, to pull themselves together. There's no attempt to force a smile uh, or to deny the truth of the moment. And you know, the truth is that uh, sometimes church is not a great place for that kind of honesty and integrity. There's a temptation to try and minimise our pain. And sometimes we do that because we think maybe uh, what we have to say might make others feel uncomfortable. Or perhaps we don't know what to do with it ourselves. But we need a community where we can be real with one another. Where the answer to how are you doesn't have to be, I'm fine or I'm okay. And I suspect, I suspect this morning that many of us aren't feeling at our best because as the months of the pandemic drag on, as we see the news, as we face all the other challenges that there always are in life, we become weary and it's hard to keep picking ourselves up again. And as he begins to talk about the struggles that those early Christians were facing, Peter wants them to know, and I think would want us to know, that we're not alone and that God is able to do things in and through this time. It's sort of like giving them another set of lenses through which they can see what's going on around them. Yes, it is hard. Yes, it is awful. Yes, it is challenging. And it's not how we would choose to have it. But, says Peter, these circumstances are an opportunity for their faith, an opportunity for our faith to shine out all the more, for Jesus to be seen and experienced by those around them. This is all, he says, like a refining fire And when we come to the other side, it will have proved our faith genuine. I guess part of the challenge that this might pose to us today is how are we shining out all the more? Is our faith a beacon of hope that calls to hope in others, that helps hope rise in those around us? Whatever our circumstances, I think that's something for us to reflect on. But just like those early Christians We haven't seen Jesus face to face yet, but we endeavour all the same to love and to trust and to follow. And just like those early Christians, we're learning each day to walk the way of faith, learning how to see and to hear and to notice and sense where the Holy Spirit is at work. We don't always get it right to be sure, but there are times where we can see and sense something of Jesus at work around us, aren't there? In people, in places, in circumstances. Though you have not seen him, you love him, you believe in him, are filled with joy. This is the result of faith, of salvation. It brings joy. And part of the way in which we find joy is noticing and sensing where God is at work in the world. But all Lord knows We could do with more joy in these days. You'll see that the big J-O-Y pallets that we sometimes use at Christmas, and it would be behind me on the wall here, have now been put away for another year as we've packed down our Christmas decorations. But we don't want to pack away the joy that comes with our faith, that Christmas often gives us an opportunity to remember and to rejoice in. You see, joy, when we talk about it in the context of faith, is more than being happy or being chirpy. Joy has deeper roots. Joy is fuller. Something about the joy that Peter's speaking about here is about expressing the goodness of God. It is inspired happiness, perhaps. And God's joy, we're told in the scripture, is our strength. The joy that comes from God, that comes from being God's people, is one of the ways in which God strengthens us. And if we're looking for where the Spirit is at work to help us hold on to hope for better days ahead, we need to, as God's people, not to squash joy where we see it. And it might be that somebody else finds joy in something that doesn't do it for us, but perhaps we might commit in these days to letting it be for now. Let us learn from Jesus that children are perhaps among the very best of us when it comes to how to live a life that shows others the kingdom. Their capacity for joy and hope is a beacon that inspires us. They find it in small things, in fleeting moments. They seem to be able to snatch it and embrace it whenever and wherever they can, and we pray that they may be our example in the days ahead. Friends, all of this to say, it isn't easy right now, but because of what Jesus has done and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, we need never be without hope for the future. Have faith friends, there are better days ahead. And may God bless you with a deep-rooted joy that brings life to you and those around you today. Amen.